This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hi, this is Alice Dreger from East Lansing Info at eastlansinginfo.news, and we are here today with the East Lansing Insider podcast, speaking to former council member and former mayor Mark Meadows. And we're really grateful, Mark, that you're here with us today. So thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to. Also joining me today is our managing editor, Emily Joan Elliott. And for those folks who don't know Mark Meadows, I thought I'd give a little bit of a background in terms of his local political history. He's been very active in local mid-Michigan politics for many years. He was elected to city council first in 1995 and served through 2005. Um, And he was mayor for 1997 through 2005. And then he served in the Michigan House of Representatives from 2007 to 2012, and then was elected again to city council in 2015 and became mayor. And just so folks understand the way mayor is elected in city council is not direct elect of the people, but it's the five members of city council choose a mayor from among their own. And he resigned from city council in 2020. And we'll be asking him a little bit about that. So we're going to launch right into it. Emily? Great. Um, so currently, Mark, we have some one of our reporters interviewing the current candidates for council, and we're asking what the biggest issues they see facing East Lansing. So we were wondering, what do you think the top two or three issues facing the city is right now? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, I think for number one, uh, the same issue that we were dealing with uh, from at least 2015 through 2019, and I think they're still uh, dealing with it, which is the making sure that the city is financially viable going forward because we were looking at, because of our, our unfunded liabilities, the pension costs and things like that, we were facing bankruptcy about 10 years down the road when uh, when I was elected in 2015. I think we made the adjustments that are necessary to deal with that issue, uh, you know, and obviously financial issues crop up that, you know, I, I couldn't foresee at that particular time that may be impacting some of the decisions of the city council at this point. But I think that's still the number one issue for us. And I'm, I'm gratified, glad, happy that uh, a significant amount of money was put forward into the pension fund this year. The income tax, the um, the money that we were receiving from the franchise uh, fees uh, was all going towards the unfunded liability uh, in the pension fund during the time I was on council. And this council approved, I think, about $7.5 million of extra money to go in uh, during this budget process. Correct. Yes. And that is a that is a, a significant contribution and should be kept up. So one of the issues in this election was would should be, are you willing to continue to make that commitment for that kind of extra money? Because that will ultimately make a huge difference for the city, uh, probably around 10 to 12 years down the road. So it's that's number one for me. I think number two uh, would be Probably preservation of the neighborhoods and continuing the the preservation. I, th- I know there's been some rumbles about uh, changing Ordinance 900 or changing the overlay zones or things like that. And, uh, you know, we've seen this happen in a number of policy decisions over the years where a, a successful policy decision then 
creates a situation where nobody remembers the history. That is <laughs> so true. Why it was so important to do these things to provide some quiet and some stability in the neighborhoods. And so that, to me, is is probably the number two issue to find people who understand that and are willing to recommit to the idea that preservation of neighborhoods is very important in the city of East Lansing. And I'd say number three, uh, you know, probably is the provision of public safety. You know, there have been some shifts, some changes uh, to make sure that our public safety services are, are really non-discriminatory in, in the way that they are applied. I think it's important to continue those processes, but also to continue to appropriately fund our public safety services within the community because safety within these neighborhoods is, is really important as well. I remember way back when uh, we had a, an issue after one of the riots that took place and, and a student stood up in front of city council and said, you know, I may not like the police all the time, but I like the fact that I can walk down the street at 3 a.m. and not feel afraid. And I think that's really the reason why we need to, to continue to appropriately fund public safety. Well, maybe if we have time, we could get into more of those things. But those are very interesting comments because they they don't really line up with what we're hearing necessarily from the candidates. And so this kind of leads naturally to our next question for you, which is, are there specific council candidates that you are supporting right now in terms of the election that we're looking at in November? Yes, uh, there are. Uh, I'm supporting Dana and I'm supporting Chuck. So Dana Watson and Chuck Grigsby. Yes. Tell us about why. Yeah, you know, I've I've been an observer of Dana for a lengthy period of time. I was very impressed as a council member with the work that she was doing. I think she was vice chair of human relations at the time. And really, I, I was very impressed. And so I encouraged her to get more involved. Uh, she was appointed to the Housing Commission, I think, then. And also, uh, she's, she agreed to serve on the Capital Area Housing Partnership Board, uh, which I requested her to do and uh, housing, affordable housing, the type of housing which encourages diversity within our community is very, very important uh, from a policy standpoint. And so she's very committed to that. And um, I'm committed to keeping her on council. I, I had hoped that if I had stayed on council that she would be running at some point to hopefully fill the spot that I, I would not be running again for. And she was appointed to that position. And so I'm, I'm hoping that she gets reelected to, to the council. The other, uh, Chuck, Chuck, again, I've been watching, you know, I like people who, who work hard, are committed to a result and really move a process along. The, the most recent process uh, with regard to the community involvement and in overseeing our public safety services uh, is an important advancement. It's one that I had pushed for for many years, actually. And, uh, you know, it's finally coming to fruition. You know, I feel like Chuck really made that happen. Uh, you know, for the same reason that I felt that we appointed Mike Moquin to, to run the financial health team, because I knew Mike would commit himself to actually finishing the job. And I think Chuck is the same type of guy, and he'll bring that skill to city council. He'll be always prepared. He will be always involved. And those are the type of candidates that I think should be on the city council. 
So Watson and Grigsby are both running for the four-year seat. There's one other person who's committed to the four-year seat, and that's Dan Bowman. So by implication, you would not be supporting Dan Bowman. I would not. And and I'm sorry that Dan ran for the four-year seat, frankly. I think Dan is a, is a really solid citizen, and he has been uh, very committed in the community to serving on boards and commissions and did a great job as chair of the planning commission. I'm committed to those two, and I intend to support them. That isn't to say that that Dan is a lousy candidate. You know, I like to say in any of my campaigns that I'm running because I think I can do a better job. It's not because the other the other candidates are are not good people or can't do the same job. And just to remind our listeners, Ron Bacon, who's currently on council as an appointee, is running for the two-year seat, and Adam DeLay has not yet committed to whether or not he's running for the two-year seat or the four-year seat. Well, are those the only candidates out there? Because that there's no one who has, has actually filed for the two-year seat. I know I'm asking a question now, so I apologize. That's for that. totally fine. Ron Bacon has told us he's running for the two-year seat. However, um, last I checked at the city clerk's office, there was not official candidacy forms for everybody in terms of submitting them. But Bacon has told us that he's committed to the two-year seat. And Adam DeLay has said that he will run for either the two-year seat or the four-year seat, depending on who's running for the other seats in terms of whether or not they represent his point of view. So we're waiting on that. And those are the five we know of for sure in terms of who's running. Yeah, I just heard this morning that George Brookover is is filing for one of the seats. Okay, well, that's... That's a plot twist. (laughs) That's a plot twist, not least because George Brookover is our lawyer at East Lansing Info, currently suing the city under two issues of FOIA. But we won't get into that, so we'll have to be switching lawyers. Uh, (laughs) On those cases, East Lansing's always interesting, Mark. I must say, like how information goes around is always super interesting to us. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, I didn't hear that from George. I heard that from somebody who had texted me and said, I heard George Bookover might be running. What do you think? So he might be. Okay, I'll, I'll give uh, George Bookover a call and we'll find out about that. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Coincidentally, this week in an article, we refer to his father who also served on council and was once mayor. That's correct, Alice? Yes, Wilbur Bookover, indeed, who I think okay. Mark would have known. Yeah, well, I know of Wilbur Brookover. In fact, Wilbur Brookover helped uh, put together uh, a small subdivision, you know, the Lexington uh, area that's below Albert Street all the way to Grand River. Oh, and you lived there. Uh, Yeah, him and uh, some other faculty members. So when we bought the house on Lexington, I looked at the abstract and said, oh, Wilbur Brookover owned this property. (laughs) So that that was, uh, you know, like kind of cool as far as I was concerned. Well, I'm going to move us to our next question, which is, can you tell us in your own words about why you resigned last July? Yeah, I can tell you. Um, And and I think I, you know, I'm not going to try to remember exactly what I said that night, but I, you know, stated it pretty clearly, I, I felt that night. There were two things. Number one, you know, we were in the middle of or the beginning of what we're probably all thinking of as the worst year that we had to live through so far anyway, the COVID year. So we knew that things were going to be disrupted substantially within the city. And the decision that was made that night 
to terminate a contract with uh, our then city attorney or city attorneys, I should say, with that law firm, the McGinney Law Firm, I thought was, I had argued against, uh, you know, the previous weekend, one of the council members had called me and asked to meet for coffee and, and we did and had a long conversation. And I was informed at that time that there were three members of council who were going to vote to, to terminate that contract. My argument was that that contract was coming up for renewal and that would be the appropriate time for us to do this instead of during what could be a very difficult three or four months ahead of us. But I couldn't, I couldn't get that stopped. I was also told by another council member that uh, George was going to be terminated. George Lahan is the city manager. Right. I felt that both those decisions, especially with regard to the timing, were terrible. And I couldn't argue against it. I felt like I was, um, you know, I really just didn't have any influence over the decision-making process at that point in time. And I had committed to Ruth, who I, I loved working with. Ruth Beyer, who was mayor at that point. Who was mayor at that point, who had been on council the previous four years while I was on council. And I saw her leaving. I, t I felt like it was it was appropriate because I was not influencing anything that the three people who would remain on there should have an opportunity to appoint people who may have a similar viewpoint with theirs so that we could move forward without what I didn't want to see is this, this sort of council that we see maybe in Lansing more often where uh, there's such a, a bitter division within the council that it impacts the viewpoint of the public as to how local government works. So I just decided at that point in time, hey, you know, I'm 73 years old. I've done a lot within the community and it was time for me to go. So, um, you know, we kind of saw that a little bit in the election the previous uh, November. Uh, you know, sometimes I would knock on doors and I realized this person has no clue as to who I am. <laughs> that, you know, eventually, uh, as a politician, you can sort of outgrow or outage uh, your constituency. And, um, you know, I didn't coach any of their soccer kids. I didn't coach any of their, their kids who played softball. I didn't do any, you know, they didn't have any clue as to my involvement in the community previously. So, um, you know, I figured it was time to go. Well, it was quite a night. I mean, it was it was a shock to us. Obviously, we didn't know about the back channel sort of stuff going on. And we should just remind our listeners, or if they don't know, the three people who voted to terminate the city manager's, uh, sorry, city attorney's contract were uh, Aaron Stevens, who then, by virtue of having been mayor pro tem, automatically became mayor. Jesse Gregg, who then was elected mayor pro tem, and Lisa Babcock who then went on to appoint Dana Watson and Ron Bacon out of a bunch of applicants, 23 applicants. They chose the two of them to appoint to council. And now those seats are up and Mark's seat is up because uh, there's time left on that seat. So those are the three seats that are now open on city council in November. I do have a follow-up question for you, Mark. You had said that one of the members also said that there were plans to terminate the city manager. Were you then very surprised when his contract was renewed with quite generous terms? I was I was a little surprised at the renewal of the contract because that contract was not up. I was also surprised that, the you know, we had uh, just 
the prior council had just entered into a contract with George that removed the golden parachute that had been in the prior contract. You know, I personally, I, I have a little bit of trouble with those. Uh, you know, I don't want to see somebody paid at the same amount of money just because they don't get rehired, for instance. You know, that to me is, that's the golden parachute. So that was reinserted in yes. this contract. And I was surprised by that because that didn't make any sense to me. We had just given Georgia a substantial raise to make up for all the the period of time where he, he really wasn't, uh, you know, provided any raise. And I know Eli had a, had a big article on that, actually, I think. Yes. So, yeah, I was a, kind of astonished <laughs> that that happened. And, um, you know, one of the council members had, had commented at that time that they had changed their mind about George because he had done a good job on providing a report on, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, social justice or something within the, the community. And that's fine. But, you know, George's job is to, to run the city on a day-to-day basis. And that seemed to me to be not necessarily an accurate statement as to why. Yeah. So what we heard from people on council was that they were very nervous about the idea. So the police chief had also just suddenly retired in the wake of sort of an ongoing scandal about use of force incidents. So the city attorney was turning over. We did not have, uh, we only had an interim police chief. What I had heard from the members of city council was that they were very nervous at the idea of also losing the city manager when all of the members of city council were incredibly green, right? None of them had a lot of experience in terms of running the city. And so they were very nervous about that. And then I think it's true to say what we heard was that there was sort of a campaign mounted among the heads of department, some of the heads of departments to tell city council they had to renew the city manager to reassure the staff that the staff were being taken care of. And, you know, there's been this long term situation in the city of East Lansing where the city council gets the message from the folks in city hall that their job is to take care of the staff and to take care of the city manager. And I think that's part of what happened in that circumstance. Yeah, well, I th- you know, my speculation uh, was that uh there was just too much turmoil that uh, they recognized that terminating George was not in the cards at that point in time. A lot of turmoil and also a lot of greenness on council, you know, so the mayor, Aaron Stevens has only been on council for a couple of years. He did not have a lot of experience. Lisa Babcock and Jesse Gregg were brand new to council. So there was a great lack of experience on city council at that point. There were, that was probably the least experienced city council in the history of the city. And it still is because the appointment of Watson and Bacon did not bring any kind of level of city council experience. So, and it shows, and we might talk about that on a future issue. But one thing we wanted to talk about in addition, Mark, was that after you resigned, you've been applying for some boards and commissions. I heard planning commission and maybe the senior commission. Can you tell us about why you've been applying for those positions, given that you did resign and why do you think you're being rejected? Well, I don't know why I'm being rejected, but I, I haven't been appointed. Let me put it that way. But the um, I, I sort of see my my mentor as one of the guys I, I uh, that I worked with originally when I was elected to council, Doug Jester, who has continued to serve on boards and commissions afterward. So has uh, Diane. So Diane Gadaris, uh-huh. members. I mean, we don't we don't just like uh, you know go. We don't move out of the city. We're still citizens here. So because of service on city council, I think you do, you can bring to boards and commissions 
a level of experience. Uh, you know, when I when I served on the Housing Commission, it was after, you know, it was between uh, the time I had left the legislature and the time I, I ran again for council. And, um, you know, I think that the experience, the history, the things I could bring to that were things that were very positive in terms of decision making or recommendations that came out of the, the Housing Commission. I think that's true for all council members, all former council members who can have the opportunity to bring that level of expertise and background to boards and commissions helps everybody uh, on the boards and commissions to make good decisions. Um, I, I and, and you can see former council members sprinkled through boards and commissions all throughout, you know, all throughout the history of the city, actually. But yeah, I think just the reason people were surprised is because you did resign so recently. And, you know, my sense is from the council members who remained, the three who were left, that they sort of felt abandoned at some level by you and Ruth Beyer when you suddenly quit. And they probably still feel some resentment. I, I think it's probably fair to guess that that's how they feel. And so maybe that's why you're being rejected. It's not for lack of experience, certainly. Well, I, I think I was recommended for appointment to the planning commission and one of the council members, uh, I don't know who, uh, decided that that shouldn't be done. But I, I think that, uh, you know, that's pretty natural for me to stay involved. So and you I'm, have been coming to the council neighborhood president's meeting representing your neighborhood. That is correct. And Which... I am the president of that neighborhood association. So the, I, you know, I do, um, try to stay involved in, in things. I, I haven't left public life. I, I enjoy uh, observing. Uh, as you know, I don't watch council meetings because uh, my mentor, when I, when I was elected to council, was Jay Rosen. And Jay never watched the council meetings after he, he left. And I think there's a good reason for that. I'm not, I'm not here to judge how or why they make particular decisions. It's, uh, I, I, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm looking at the result, the same result, which I felt, uh, you know, governed all my decision-making through the time I was on council, which is to consistently improve the quality of life of East Lansing citizens. And so that's really the only objective I think anybody really has. Related to that, um, when the Censor City bond refinancing issue came up, you commented quite frequently in the articles we wrote and provided Alice with some information and the rationale of why certain things were put in the original DL, but yet you didn't go and comment at city council. So I was wondering if you could explain to us why you chose to put yourself out there in Eli, but maybe not other methods in the city to explain what you knew about the project and the financing. Well, I would put it this way. Most of the members of the Downtown Development Authority, I think with the exception of maybe two or three, uh, were really my appointees. And so they, if they needed, if they felt they needed to talk to me, they know how to get a hold of me. <laughs> and I felt the same way about city council. And, and just let me say that that of the three remaining council members, one has pretty regularly called me for advice. I, I'm available if people want me to. Ooh, you got to tell us who that is? No, I'm not. And I, I'm happy to contribute whatever knowledge I, I have with regard to anything that's going on in the city. Um, Alice directly asked me about this. And so... Um, I responded, and that's that's why I, I provided the information that I had. And to Alice's credit, I think that 
her mind was changed about some of the, at least some of <laughs> the way that contract was written and why it was written the way it was, and that there were greater protections for the the people of the city than maybe she originally thought Correct. was was in that contract. And so I wish we had had those conversations, you know, two years before or three years before, because I think that, frankly, that was one of the best contracts to, to protect the, the citizens of the city that we had. It has been changed, but there is a giant legal issue <laughs> hanging over that still because the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority does not have the authority to make changes on its own. It can only make changes with city council approval. And to the best of my knowledge, the city council has not approved the changes that were made that benefited the developer. So if people are interested in reading about that, that's an article called Who Really Benefited from the Center City District Bonds? And you can find that at eastlansinginfo.news. Mark, we only have a, like a minute or so left, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the income tax and the impact on the pensions, but the income tax has only about 10 years left to it before it expires unless the voters renew it. Would you advocate for the voters being asked to renew it sooner or renew it then? Because the pensions are still going to have a huge hole in it by the end of the income tax. That is correct. And yes, <laughs> I do advocate for that. I, I I think that most people have noticed that it doesn't have a, like a great impact on the bottom line of, of uh, their available resources. So I would advocate that we go out a couple of years before it's time for, to expire so that we can get a feel from the community as to what they want to see with it. I think the selling point on that was that we really lockboxed all of the money that came in, and I would hope that we would continue to do that. Thank you. So this kind of wraps up our time. Yes, we have about a minute left if anyone would like to provide a closing thought or words. Well, thanks, Alice, for, for asking me uh, these questions. I've enjoyed this discussion. Hope we have another one sometime in the future. I would like that. And um, we enjoyed having you on the first Eli Telethon as well. That was a very interesting conversation and it got a lot of views, I think, because a lot of people were interested to hear what you had to say at that point. So thank you for talking with us. Yes, right. thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Just a reminder, you can find lots more information at eastlansinginfo.news, where we do reporting for the people of East Lansing, nonpartisan, non-governmental. We're independent of the government, and you can find lots of news there. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.